A few months ago, I had a conversation with a colleague about doing queer readings of older films. We were talking about how, despite a lot of people getting real pissy over what they see as us taking free license with old classics, older Hollywood films make for pretty easy queer and trans readings because of their subject matter. Think of any great melodrama and you'll be able to pick up on some pretty trans themes right away. There's always this concept of the double life or the hidden secret, family shame, the role you play in society versus the private role you play, a fear of the other. It's all just right there. And nowhere is it perhaps more right there on the surface, just waiting to be skimmed off the top like so much cream, than in 1939's The Old Maid, based on an Edith Wharton novella. Now, before you say, okay, Henry, another old movie nobody's fucking heard of and start rolling your eyes, bear with me. The Old Maid is, yes, an old Betty Davis, Miriam Hopkins movie that takes place during and after the Civil War, and many parts of it have not aged well. But the story it tells is pretty solid melodrama, and the person who wrote it, the 1930s playwright Zoe Atkins, was at one time one of Greta Garbo's girlfriends. She wasn't exactly out because she couldn't be, but she was a woman working in Hollywood, wink wink, nudge nudge. She co-wrote Camille, and the script for the film Christopher Strong, itself a very queer-coded film made by the lesbian director Dorothy Arzner. But The Old Maid is probably my favorite of her screenplays, because it has such an incredible clarity about it. It really knows what it is to be trans in a certain sense, and in a certain very depressing context. The plot of the film is as follows, and bear with me here, because like any great melodrama, there are twists and turns. The action starts near the end of the Civil War. We meet cousins Charlotte Lovell, played by Betty Davis, and Delia Lovell, played by Miriam Hopkins, who, along with Joan Crawford, was one of the many studio-mandated rivals of Davis. We meet the cousins on the morning of Delia's impending marriage to the wealthy Jim Ralston. Everything is set and the marriage is about to go through until a soldier named Clem Spender comes back from the front to try and convince Delia, once his childhood sweetheart, to break it off with Jim and marry him instead. But Delia cares a lot about propriety and money. She basically tells him, fuck you, I want to be rich, and leaves him brokenhearted. Delia marries Jim, and Charlotte goes off with Clem to comfort him, i.e. have a one-night stand. See, Charlotte has loved Clem all this time, but the only time Clem can really see her is in the wake of this final rejection by Delia. Some time passes and the war ends. We learn that Clem was killed on the front, and when we reconnect with Charlotte a few years later, she's running a home for war orphans. And there's one war orphan who seems to have a closer relationship to Charlotte than the rest of the kids. This is Clementina, or Tina for short who we will learn is the byproduct of Charlotte and Clem's one-night stand. But of course, in the South in 1870, you can't just be a single mom. That's... no, that's not done, for whatever stupid fucking reason. So Charlotte started up this orphanage so as to take suspicion away from her. That, and she seems to genuinely like caring for the kids. But there's a problem. Charlotte is now engaged to marry Jim Ralston's brother, Joe, and he wants her to give up the orphanage and live a normal, respectable life, whatever the hell that means. Delia, now happily married to Jim and with a few kids of her own, tries to convince Charlotte to give up the orphanage, which is when the whole truth comes out. Charlotte tells Delia about her night of passion with Clem, and that Tina is their daughter. 
And Delia is naturally pretty fucking pissed to hear this. In a moment of unchecked rage, she nearly outs Charlotte to her husband-to-be, Joe, but she thinks better of it and instead finds another way to prevent their marriage. She lies to Joe saying that Charlotte is too sick to be married, and he just rolls with it, and they don't get married. The engagement is broken off, and years later, after Delia's husband Jim suddenly dies, Delia convinces Charlotte and Tina to live with them and be part of their family. There's only one problem. The young Tina, as soon as she moves in, starts calling Delia her mother. Delia isn't in any hurry to correct her, and Charlotte, to hide her shame, goes along with it. For years, she pretends to play the role of the old maiden aunt, treating her daughter with sharp discipline and scorn, while Delia gets to be the warm, benevolent mother of the house. Fast forwarding, we meet up with the family again, and Tina is almost 20. She is enjoying society life with her brothers and sisters, who are secretly actually her cousins, and is dating a boy who comes from a wealthy, respectable family. But she can't marry him because Tina's origin is still unknown. They've been passing her off as an orphan all this time. So Delia decides to formally adopt Tina, so as to give her a proper background and allow her the chance to rise in society. As you can imagine, the person who gets the shit end of the stick here is Charlotte. And the beauty of the film is that we actually get to see how it happens. How a normal, caring, free-spirited young woman becomes crushed, bitter, and cruel as the result of having to live a lie for so many years. A socially mandated lie at that. And this is a physical transformation, as well as a spiritual one. When we see Betty Davis in the final act, she's wearing the classic attire of the Hollywood old maid. She's got these Sweeney Todd gray streaks in her hair, which is kept in this high Victorian bun. She wears this very severe, sort of corseted outfit with a high collar. She doesn't so much speak her lines as snap them. And the top half of her face never moves. This is the familiar, foreboding portrait we've seen of the classic old maid. She's the one who haunts the deck of cards, the empty house, the old crumbling manor. She's the figure of horror we're greeted with in the alternate history of It's a Wonderful Life, when George Bailey tries to find his wife Mary, only to learn that in his absence she's become horror of horrors, an old maid, aka the worst thing a woman can possibly be. Charlotte and Tina have a big blowout where Tina accuses her of just being a dried up, bitter old maid who's jealous of her because she's young and in love. Go to your room, Tina. I'll go. But before I go, you've got to know that I'm sick of your smiling and fault finding no, and no, knowing. Tina. You can say what you want to me, Monday, because you understand me and I love you. She's just a sour old maid who hates Tina. me because I'm young and attractive and in love. Plus, she's old and hideous and dried up and has never known anything about love. But of course, we know the truth. She's had to be this way. So why is this trans, you might be asking yourself? Well, for me, it happens in a speech Charlotte gives before sending her daughter, who she never got to properly love or claim, off to live with some guy for the rest of her married life. She's honest for the first time with Delia and with herself about her transformation, and we learn that this wasn't something that happened naturally, but that it was a role Charlotte forced herself to play with great skill and with unbreaking commitment. Understand. She considers me an old maid. My dear, ridiculous, narrow-minded old maid. What else can she ever think of me? Poor Charlotte. Oh, but you needn't pity me. 
she's really mine. If she considers me an old maid, it's because I've deliberately made myself one in her eyes. Done it from the beginning, so she wouldn't have the least suspicion. Practiced everything I've ever had to say to her. It was important. So that sound like an old maid out talking. Not her mother. When she said, I practiced everything I said before I said it, that really hit me. Because I don't know about you, but I did the exact same thing. Probably a lot of us did. From the time I was really little, I would put everything I said and did through this filter in my head. There was a split second before I did or said anything where I asked myself, would a boy do this? Is this masculine? Or how can I do this in a way that will convince people that I'm a boy? I thought other people's perceptions of me was in my control, basically, and that the world didn't see me as a boy because I just wasn't trying hard enough. I think plenty of us have this response to being misgendered constantly as kids. We want to find some measure of control over how we're seen, so we start to plan our actions accordingly. And because of this, we start to develop this sort of other personality. It's not us, but it's the way we have to present to the world, either to protect ourselves from being outed by our words and actions, or to convince ourselves that if we just work hard enough, someday the rest of the world will see us the way we want to be seen. But we don't have control as trans people. All we can really do for ourselves is come out, hopefully find some community, and try to live in a way that's as truthful as possible, even if that gets us ostracized or straight-up hated by society. Recently I was talking with my therapist about the old maid, and about Betty Davis in general. Because she's always playing characters like this. People who are forced by society to be something they don't want to be. In All About Eve, she's forced into this bitter, shitty position because nobody writes plays for actresses over 25. And she's aged out of that demographic. In Now Voyager, she's forced once again into this old maid role until she takes charge and throws her family's limited idea of her back in their face. And in her other roles, the thing that gives that wonderful weight to her performances is that sense of having to live a double life, thinking one thing, having to say another. And I find that really moving when I watch her on screen. She gets us. In her body and her delivery, her presentation of these complicated women, she brings a certain transness of context, I'll say, to each role. But never is it more painful or vicious than in The Old Maid. In the end, Tina goes off and marries her stupid rich boyfriend, and Delia and Charlotte are left alone in that big house with only each other for company. At one point, talking about Tina, Delia even says the very gay phrase, We can go on loving her together. And that's just what they do. The end of Tina's story is the end of the movie, but it's the beginning of the thing we've really wanted for these women from the start. Not for their kids to make good marriages and be respectable, but for these women to finally have a real conversation with one another. The movie ends on a shot of the two women, arm in arm, walking back into the house. And you just wonder what kind of conversations they can have now, with all the lying and bullshit out of the way. I guess that's the movie I wish I could see. The Old Maid 2. The sequel. Two women alone talking about aging, about sacrificing, about loving, and being their true unadulterated selves with one another for maybe the first time ever.
Totally Trans Minisodes is a production of the Totally Trans Podcast Network. You can find us on Twitter at Totally Trans Pod or support us on Patreon at patreon.com backslash totallytrans. Totally Trans.